Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic and when there's not a global pandemic, on location. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single concept or premise. In this episode, we're discussing the end times. That's right, the end of computers as we know it. But before we begin, let's quickly meet who's on the panel today. I'm Denny Cherry. Denny Cherry and Associates Consulting. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Denny. You can find me on the internet at www.dcac.com. Hi, I'm John Alberto. I am a head bottle washer at LogicWorks, uh, where I'm a managed service provider. I'm on Twitter at 2Obeto2, the number two, and O B E T O, hard T. And um, I'm on the internet at absolutelyjohn.com. Hi, I'm Jason Collier. You can find me on Twitter at Bocanuts. Uh, I'm currently an analyst uh, over at GigaOM, and I've spent the last 25 years doing tech startup companies in uh, Silicon Valley and Austin. So today we're discussing the fact that computers seem to be exploding. And I don't mean literally exploding. I mean the fact that if you look at how enterprise technology works, if you look at the state of enterprise applications, um, you know, since like the big data uh, explosion of, uh, you know, a decade ago, basically everything's growing beyond the computer. If I said, uh, you know, hey, I wanna have a startup and we're gonna index the entire internet. If, if step one was buy a really big server, you'd just laugh me out of the room, right? I mean, everything these days is way bigger than a server. And it seems like increasingly the kind of technologies that are being, um, you know, delivered, whether it's from, you know, CPUs like companies from Intel and AMD and ARM, or whether it's interconnects, whether it's you know data, whether application monitoring, it, everything is growing beyond the computer. And it seems like we've reached the end. We've reached the end of relevance for the computer. I'm gonna start this off by asking Jason, because I know that you've worked at a company that was developing basically bigger than a computer software. Is this what you're seeing that uh, the, it's the end of the server? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we had kind of had on, you know, kind of the long-term roadmap is, you know, even what if you could build a virtual machine that's bigger than any physical constraints of any specific machine, right? And I think it's going that way with composability. Now, another funny thing that you mentioned was, yeah, if I'm going to buy a computer to search the internet, and I remember specifically in 1995, I actually knew that the guys over at Alta Vista, they had the same financial backers as we did at our startup back then. But Alta Vista was literally proving the power of the DEC Alpha chip because they literally could have one server where they index the entire internet. Of course, it was 1995. So guess what? It was a little bit smaller back then. But as it grew through the, you know, the generations of the, you know, kind of the original dot com to where we are today, um, no specific application, no, no application in general, like runs on a single machine, right? Everything is distributed. But I see that going more and more from actually the, the you know, the disaggregation of the compute components within servers themselves. Uh, and having the ability to, you know, basically address things outside of, you know, the physical realms of, of, of possibility. That's a very good point. Um, I also see it if you look at it from a physical standpoint, right? The CPU, something that uh, Jason just touched on right now. The CPUs are going to get to a stage where they'll become very relevant because there's so many other compute um, 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 uh, components, right, that are adding, taking slices of what a CPU you really used to do back in the day, and they're, and they're actually bringing value to making it 
work for a specific uh, for a specific uh, um, application or for a specific use at, at that time. I, I think the Apple M1 chip sort of is showing the way out there where you have this chip that's by all by all indications should be vast vastly underpowered, right? Trouncing everything in, in its path and being the, the best chips because it's highly specialized, it's purpose built, and everybody now seems to want to go that way. If you look at uh, as we understanding Microsoft wants to do that with Azure, Google's doing it. Everybody wants to make sure that they're not just dependent on the CPU to do that. And with that goes the server because the server is always the big CPU that the Xeon, right? Yeah, well, one of the things I think is really going to be interesting and really going to change things over the next few years is going to be how this massive growth of, uh, of distributed computing ends up happening. Um, we're seeing a lot of much smaller applications really hitting the end of their scale, or at least I, I have, um, and we can't, they can't be scaled up anymore. And we have to go back to the developers and back to the architects and go, hey, cool. So you now need to be able to support this running on 10 different nodes at once. How do you scale this out? You know, how do you have to redesign everything that you've been doing for the last 20 years? so that you can make it so that things can scale across all these various machines because these machines aren't getting any more powerful. Um, and so we need to be able to scale this broad width of, of the world now. Um, and on top of that, we need to be able to build in basically time lag as stuff needs to be able to scale across the world, because you know you may have, you may have users in Los Angeles, users in London, and users in Mumbai, um, and they all need to be able to see the same application. How how is your app going to scale across that entire world, especially given the fact that there's you know a hundred millisecond lag between all those various places? Because um, we need to be able to deal with this whole. Uh, problem of fiber we can only move light so fast from point a to point b and so because of that we have internet lag um and so how people need to start thinking about how they're going to address that as they're building these really dynamic applications and scaling these things out um and and how do we deal with this and how do we process all this stuff that's a really good point denny i mean one of the things that i always used to say uh say in one of my talks was um, when uh, microseconds matter, the cloud's only 88 milliseconds away, right? And it's one of those things from a computational perspective, and you see this a lot, you know, uh, deployed on edge compute, you know, where you're moving the, the computational decisions as close to the data that where, where that decision needs to be made, right? And it, it really does, comes down to those latencies, you know, where, where best is it to make that decision? An example of this, if you've got, you know, a, a car like a Tesla that's got autopilot on it, guess what? You probably don't want it making a decision on whether or not it should brake uh, or apply the auto brake or swerve out of the out of the lane to avoid getting hit. Uh, you probably don't want that being uh, made in the cloud uh, at this point, especially if you got lousy cell coverage where you're driving. Um, you know, in another way, I think when you see this like like computing moving closer to you know the data on which it needs to act, uh, things like um, computational storage is another prime example where you're actually embedding you know CPUs on storage devices, and you know there a lot of the CPU makers now are even putting you know kind of these high speed lanes in to where you can get access to to FPGAs or getting access to you know like what we've seen you know 
with Optane and PMEM, you know, being able to, to get, you know, closer access and closer to the CPU access of these additional computational devices. John, what you said about M1 is a prime example. And, you know, Apple does a really good job of advertising, look, hey, it's not just the CPU anymore. We've got this neural net uh, processor. We've got, you know, graphics chips. We've got all this stuff where, you know, the closer, the, the tighter we integrate that stuff, the more computational power we can have, you know, within the system, but also more importantly, without, you know, outside of the system, going back to the, you know, scaling out, not scaling up as the, as the real vector for scalability now. Yeah, I think you nailed one thing here, and I don't even know if you nailed on it, um, was talk about the edge and being able to put more things out on the edge and doing more processing out on the edge. And this is absolutely the case and where things are gonna have to go is things are gonna have to get processed out on the edge because we only want the bandwidth, we're only gonna have the bandwidth to send up what we need to send up. Whereas a lot of the times in the past, it's been, well, just let's just send everything um, and and we'll deal with it at the data center. Well, we, we no longer have that option. So I was talking to one company a while back um, and uh, they were monitoring uh, spin bicycles at, at spin studios. And their original design was to send everything from the bike. Well, the bikes are now no longer, or they were before pre-pandemic, there were no longer you know, three bikes in the studio. It's now 40 or 50 bikes in the studio. And so taking measurements off those bikes every five seconds times 40 bikes suddenly no longer works because when the studio's got you know, a basic cable modem. So you have to like do a lot of pre-processing over there at the edge before you can actually send stuff up to to the main data center to actually store that that information. When talking about the edge and all that data, I I think of a, a phrase I call data uselessness. Right? There's so much extraneous data that you you just have to you know I'm out there and I'm going back to deepest darkest if uh, Stephen with my machete right. <laughs> And I'm, and I'm just hearing all, all that stuff. All that. We don't need this stuff, right? It, because a lot of it is just like, like you said, if you have those 40 bikes, most of the information there really doesn't need to, to be uploaded to the crowd. It doesn't make any sense anymore. You need the data that's going to be valid to either improve the product or data that you can monetize. You don't want to know that the bike's just laying out there, or, you know, some guy's doing it at two miles an hour, whatever. You need data that can actually bring value to your enterprise. And um, coming coming closer to the closer down to each, we used to call it back in the operational unit, organizational unit, or whatever that business unit is, lets you take the data that's useful at that level, right, and push that push that out to where you know uh, to 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 the cloud, where to the data center, where the data guys can actually make it actionable and make business decisions based on it. But um, another thing I look at when we think about this is. We've talked about latency. I, I'm thinking of management overhead, and I'm also thinking about security. Because all of a sudden we're running into problems. I mean, I tweeted yesterday about some guy broke hacked into a water a water mains a water uh, processing plant and just screwing around, just walking around and took away uh, safety uh, measures. I mean, we need to secure this thing. So, unfortunately, it was Windows. So, damn. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, no, please don't let it be Windows. But yeah, it was Windows. Yeah. And they got it through TeamViewer. I mean, God, you know, so security comes into it. And that's something else I, I think we're going to have to look at. But I don't know. What do you think? 
I totally agree. I mean, security, security is one of those big, you know, big aspects of it. And then, you know, kind of getting back to that data that you need, I had a specific edge deployment um, that, that we had deployed uh, at my last company and uh, it was in a grocery store chain, right? And here's the thing, you know, uh, they had like 7,000 grocery stores, right? So, and then they, one of those uh, edge use cases was uh, they had about probably 130 refrigeration units in each one of those stores. And if it's basically pulling that thing, each one of those 130, each times individually, like, you know, like every second, that's a lot of extraneous data that you don't need, right? So it came down to like the application that, that was designed where data was processed at the edge. It only really reported the anomalous data up through, you know, into the cloud, right? It's because nobody cares if it's, if the refrigerator is working correctly, Nobody cares, right? That, that's good. That's how it's supposed to do it. You want to know if something has gone wrong, right? And and so so they really you know developed the application around um, monitoring that because you know you think oh yeah 130 that's not too bad. Now you take 130 over 7,000 different stores. Now you got a different scale that you're dealing with. Yeah, and this is one of those things that comes into the utilizing AI podcast that I do as well. This idea that um, you know it sounds uh, counterintuitive, but um, you know, AI processing has uh, basically increased the amount of data in order to decrease the amount of data. And it sounds weird, but that's actually what's going on. So whereas it used to be that we would have sort of hard-coded rules, like let's say, let's say like an edge device, right? We would have hard-coded rules that would say only send things above severity four into, uh, you know, to escalate, you know? and throw everything else out in the trash. Now with AI at the edge, what we're doing is we're saying, let me see everything above severity two, let the AI system process those things and escalate what it thinks need to be escalated to the cloud and then deal with those things. And that's a very different situation. And what the, the output is, is essentially we're using a lot more data, but there's actually less data traversing the network. And this kind of goes to some of the things that we're talking about, like what Danny was talking about, about having data in multiple locations. You know, you're talking about latency over the internet, Jason. Um, all that stuff is kind of like just-in-time data in a way, right? It's like just-in-time manufacturing, just-in-time data. And it seems to me though, just to kind of bring this back to the end of the server, it seems to me that we're scaling basically everything. So we have like, multiple CPU cores, like many, many cores in a CPU. We have many lanes of IO within the server. We have multiple CPUs working together, multiple servers working together, multiple servers within a rack working together. So we've got rack scale architecture. We've got multiple racks, you know, data center scale infrastructure. We're scaling outside the data center. We're scaling across the internet. We're scaling everywhere. And we're even scaling to the edge. So it seems like the entire compute environment, every element right down to the CPU core is scaled. In fact, even the cores themselves are scaled because we've got hyper-threading, right? So you're running more than one thread on a core. Everything's scaling, right? Yep. That's, uh, you know, and that, that's kind of the way it's, uh, it's had to go that way, right? I mean, the, the, the tremendous growth of the internet, like I said, back in 1995, you could run it all on like one server. I was showing like, look how beefy this alpha server is. Yeah. And then guess what? I went back to, uh, went back to the guys uh, at digital back in like, I think it was like 96, 97. And um, 
that one server went to basically four rows of 40 racks that were doing it because of the scale. Guess what? It, it, could, it could do it in 1995 and in like 1997, a short two years later, it couldn't be done. So they were already scaling it out then, right? And, and everything has to be, uh, you know, scale out to keep up with what it is. Now, the real important thing though is application developers have to keep up with the scale out trends, right? You don't, we don't write applications like we did in 1995, thank goodness. Um, you know, and uh, even though there's still certain applications that always float around, there, still running, you know, single thread and can only, uh, you know, access a specific amount of, of, of RAM. But, you know, really, honestly, the application, uh, application development and deployment, another thing you got to think about, you know, scale out, it's great, solves a lot of problems. But also one of the problems that it really creates is now how do you deploy an application across thousands of machines that are globally distributed right now now it's a different animal and uh so so it it solves a lot of problems and it creates a lot more so it's it's interesting how this ecosystem of of kind of you know the hardware operating environments all all tend to scale and then how uh how that is then answered by uh the application developments going on in the space as well yeah the, the whole process of, of deployment is is a whole new bear that a lot of companies and a lot of people are just starting to realize is something they need to actually look at um because you can't just you know drag and drop copy and paste like you did you know 20 years ago and voila it's magically deployed um that doesn't work when you need to deploy to a hundred or a thousand machines so you actually have to have some sort of automation process in place and this is i know i'm from an i not an it background but i'm from an administration background and the whole idea of writing code was is a foreign concept to me basically up until like four or five years ago because we had to suddenly start writing code to deploy and manage at large scale which we never had to really deal with before it was always this silo little i'm going to manage to look at this one box um, and now i need to look at a hundred boxes all at the same time because they're all running the same thing. So how do I how do I automate a lot of this? How do I dis do manage all this distributed architecture and distributed uh, systems? This wasn't a thing ten years ago. Just wasn't. <laughs> you also also have to look at um, I guess expectations, right? Uh, service ex expectations from the deployed the deployed servers. I mean, if if you're in the U.S., you expect you fully expect almost instantaneous uh, uh, um, uh, what's what I'm looking for service from any from any product you're using. If you're in Burkina Faso, you, you know it's coming over on a slow boat, right? So you sort of expect that as well. So your data, your your services have to be uh, dynamic enough to recognize whatever location you are geographically or whatever the local prevailing. Um, um, service conditions are in order to to have that service uh, put out there. Plus, you also have to think about the security of not just the data uh, of not just your physical plan, but also the compute. And um, right now, I, I think that's um, with, with distributed services going back and forth. That's something that we're going to have to look at at a very very close rate when you're deploying outside of relatively secure environments where you you know you know. Physically, somebody can come in and yank whatever's out there, and um, all of a sudden you're you're um, you're prone to a hack. I mean, or look at SolarWinds where they did that in the um, uh, in the supply chain and introduced malware into that. That's something else we also have to watch watch for. I think. 
Yeah, I think one of the uh, other interesting uh, kind of an intriguing area is where we're starting to see some, you know, companies really come out and start to shine that's that's also kind of, you know, going toward this this scale out trend in general are the uh, composable infrastructure style companies. Um, and, you know, composability is getting to a piece now where, you know, used to, if you needed like GPU compute, you would basically take, throw some, you know, a couple of uh, GPU cards into, you know, a 2U server. Um, and then, you know, but but what what became of it was, it wasn't dynamically reconfigurable. You couldn't do a lot of things with it. And now we're starting to see that where you can get these, you know, PCI switch aggregation units and things like that, where you can say, oh, I got an application where I need to do neural net training. I don't want to use these Tesla GPUs to, to be able to do that. Okay, well, that's great. How do you how do you pull off this without going to three weeks of hardware reconfig to do it? And, you know, there are companies that are starting to come out now that are actually being able to do that, where you've got the capability of saying, oh, I want to boot this up and I want to give this access to like, you know, 20 different GPUs, even though it's a 2U server, right, going out and being able to, 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 to create uh, then an application kind of on demand and then just tear it down and build up another one, you know, and keep using those same resources, but in a very dynamically reallocatable way. Um, I think that's another area where, you know, it's really, you know, with this composable infrastructure, you're starting to see, you know, kind of some of these really unique uses for it that I think are going to be the standard way that we do data center deployments, you know, in the next, uh, over the next five years. Yeah, it does seem to be that that's the direction that things are heading. Um, you know, we've just seen here in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, the, you know, the, the AMD third generation, you know, the Epic, as John mentioned, uh, CPUs. We've seen now the Xeon scalable uh, third generation CPU launch. Um, you know, we are going to be hearing at uh, the upcoming Tech Field Day event uh, here in uh, April, at the end of April, we're going to be hearing from Micron uh, talking about CXL. We're going to hear about, uh, you know, Xilinx talking about DPUs. A lot of this stuff is really oriented toward exploding the server. And, um, and, and not only that, but as you're saying, Jason, earlier, having the server be a lot more than just a box that has CPUs in it, having the server be a box that has lots of different specialist processors and connecting to other specialist boxes. And, you know, I guess that's the new server architecture, right? Um, you know, it's, it's going to be something that's, that's massive and scalable. Oh, without a doubt. And I think it's almost a greenfield right now. If you look at companies like you mentioned, uh, Xilinx, you mentioned um, oh, the, the DPUs, you mentioned Micron, all of a sudden they can take, if they want, an ARM product, right? And so customize that, that it becomes theirs, right? And if Intel is not careful, probably in the next few years, right? Create their own server chips that can actually create a function, right? Where they can that now that then sell that as a composable piece of, you know, of some of some architecture that, uh, that some user might want in the future, I think. Yeah, the, the, the industry is getting pretty, pretty interesting as well. I mean, there's more, you know, like even uh, NVIDIA, who you traditionally think of as, you know, the GPU provider. Well, if you look at a lot of the acquisitions NVIDIA has done over the last few years, uh, they're buying a lot of the kind of operating environment, uh, you know, buying a lot of switch OSs. They bought, you know, Mellanox uh, to get into basically that high bandwidth switching uh, between nodes. And now they, they bought ARM. 
right? So, I mean, it's pretty clear that NVIDIA is uh, positioning itself to be in that CPU market with, uh, you know, Intel and AMD. And one of the most fascinating things I find about this is when you look at the uh, the financials of, of the, the companies, NVIDIA actually has a larger market cap than both Intel and AMD combined. So it's, it's, it's going to be pretty interesting what's going to happen in this uh, CPU and the server market over the next few years and, and see, you know, what new entrants are going to be there and then, uh, you know, what uh, kind of merger and acquisition possibilities are actually out there in the marketplace. Well, uh, point of order, uh, they haven't bought ARM yet. They have uh, offered to True buy enough. Off. True but, enough. Yeah, that's actually a good summary, Jason, of kind of like where we are. And I wonder, uh, John first, and then Denny, do you guys want to give us your summary of this question? You know, is it the end of the server as we know it? Without a doubt, I think it is. Um, not only is it uh, the end of the server as we know it, it might be the end of the server CPU vendors as we know them. Because if you look at the large guys, they're going towards their O and O owned and operated chips as well. So they, the Microsoft of the world with their, with their, uh, with Azure, uh, Google with the Google Cloud, Oracle as a uh, Spark, <laughs> but the, everybody's going to be doing something, and they might not be going towards using a regular CPU. They're going to be using their own CPUs. They'll be highly specialized and delivering the product, the services that they want, and hopefully maybe customizable, configurable, and using AI to uh, tie everything together uh, for specific customers. Yeah, I, I think. It's it's going to be a while still, but yeah, I think the server is going to be is going to be just dying, if not going to be dead in the next few years, um, especially as we have these have cloud environments from you know from Azure, AWS, GCP. Um, those are going to, you know going to, going to be the big three we're going to see and and how we're going to see everything being used and available, and that's a lot of things moving towards these large public clouds. Um, companies are still going to need some sort of private cloud on prem. Uh, either on-prem or at a colo or something like that. But I see the majority of things going into these large public clouds just because these guys have the capital to be able to do things at absolutely massive scale that you just can't do yourself. You can't do at a small a small shop. You know, I can't buy 10,000 servers and deploy them. And I certainly can't do it at the cost that one of the big three is able to do it at. Um, so these guys are going to radically drive down the cost of doing things. And as, as things get cheaper, they're going to be easier and easier for people and companies to be able to do. And I think that's going to be a great thing for the industry as, as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, guys. Um, I, I think that this is absolutely reflective of the way that the industry is heading. And I'm really personally excited that, you know, three people with such diverse backgrounds as the three of you uh, really are seeing similar trends in each area of the industry that you're working in, whether it's, you know, developing, you know, hyper-converged, you know, solutions, uh, developing managed services, or dealing with big data and analytics workloads. All of us are seeing the same trend, which is that everything is getting bigger than the server. Everything is busting out of the server. And it doesn't really matter where you look, you'll see it. And, uh, you know, I mean, certainly from my perspective as a storage guy, I'm seeing that too. I mean, you look at you know, what companies like, you know, everybody from like Pure Storage and, you know, Dell EMC all the way to, you know, Scality and people like that, everybody's scaling beyond the, beyond the box. And that's good. You know, that's a good architectural trend. And I think it's a trend that's going to continue. 
So there you have it, folks. It's the end of the server as we know it, and I feel fine. Thank you for listening to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show, since that really does help our visibility. No kidding, it really does. And please share this show with your friends. This podcast is brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.